Greetings and welcome to TLJD Talks. It is a podcast which is based on discussing the intersection of law and technology. Today we have with us our eminent guest, Soham Banerjee. Mr. Banerjee is an associate in the litigation team at Pioneer Legal, a full-service law firm at Mumbai. Mr. Banerjee has experience in the field of commercial litigation and arbitration. Mr. Banerjee is also affiliated to the MCIA, ICCA, YSIAC, ICCDR, and the Hong Kong International Arbitration Center as a young member. And he regularly writes and publishes uh, on current developments in arbitration and law in general. Today, we will be recording our podcast on the subject, the use of information technology in arbitration and mediation. Arbitration and mediation are the forms of ADR, which have become increasingly popular in today. And that is why it is important to have this discussion. So what role can information technology play in improving the traditional arbitration process? And what are the major concerns associated with this? Uh, first of all, thank you, Nava. Thank you, team TGLT. TGLT for informing me on this, for introducing me on this podcast, inviting me on this podcast. I think uh, ever since the pandemic hit our country, unfortunate pandemic hit our country, uh, technology has become the cornerstone of any dispute resolution uh, method, you know, because with access to courts, physical access to courts and arbitration tribunals becoming very scarce and very limited, technology has become the cornerstone in the way parties litigate and resolve the dispute. So in that sense, I think even prior to the pandemic, there was a certain intrusion of technology in the dispute resolution mechanism, so to speak. But it's flourished and it flowered during the post-pandemic era, so to speak. So in that sense, I feel technology as the cornerstone of the dispute resolution process has a lot, a lot of advantages and concomitant disadvantages as well. But since we have all had our fair share of talking about disadvantages. Let's just focus on the advantages to begin with. I think at the outset, technology makes the entire process in a much more streamlined manner, right? Beginning from the way your files are stored, beginning from the way your communications are addressed, beginning from the way parties can attend these proceedings. I think technology in that sense has made accessibility of justice that much more easier to a population that prior to the pandemic had a lot of difficulty facing or accessing justice so to speak you know because tomorrow for example if you have a court date if you have a hearing date in court tomorrow or if you have a hearing schedule before a tribunal tomorrow and you're in some difficulty by way of which you can't travel take the most simplest example example if you're in mumbai and your roads are flooded during the monsoon you can't travel to the hearing right you can't attend the hearing physically then in that sense you know your entire process gets pushed a day later because of that one day in delay for no fault of your own for completely, you know, factors that are beyond your control. The entire process of you getting a hearing or having your case adjudicated before a judge or a tribunal gets pushed by a day at the bare minimum. So what technology has done post the pandemic is allowed those sort of, you know, unforeseen events hindering your access to justice being thrown completely out of the window because you don't need to now physically travel to courts or travel to the venue of the arbitration to attend the hearings. You know, you can sit in your room within the confines of your room and attend the hearing and have it made adjudicated and have it deliberated in a meaningful manner. So the problem that people primarily have with technology is that, you know, 
technology in a sense would hinder the way the cases are being heard or would hinder the way in the way the arguments are being appreciated by the bar or by the arbitral tribunal but over the past two and a half years of the pandemic that we have been in i feel that that hasn't been the case at all in if at all it has helped streamline the process much more easier it has made communication between parties and transmission of heavy documents and paper heavy matters that much more easier and it's actually allowed parties to be at much more ease while attending such you know judicial or quasi judicial proceedings because there's an inherent fear attached when you have to attend a hearing when you have to attend an arbitral tribunal or hearing before an arbitral tribunal there's an innate fear that you know this is a judicial proceeding and i'll have to have my case adjudicated before the judge in front of thousands of people or thousands of other advocates or the other side advocate so there's a sense of fear and there's a sense of uh, unknowingness that arises from such a situation which i think has been sub- substantively uh, uh, reduced when you're doing it from the confines of your home because this is an atmosphere and this is a space that you feel comfortable in and helps you put across your case and helps you you know understand the merits and the relative demerits of your case in a much more calm and in a much more aware manner so i think overall post the pandemic technology has helped streamline the justice dispensation process and has allowed transmission of files and the way parties communicate with each other or communicate with the judge even it's it's made the entire justice dispensation process that was more accessible to citizens and uh, judges and advocates alike yeah okay sir so uh, as for information technology people believe that it can help the parties in international arbitration to save time and costs and to ensure that the yeah. arbitration is managed and conducted eff- uh, efficiently on the other yeah. hand if poorly managed then it can increase the same time and costs or in the worst case even result in unfair treatment of the party as you said now what precautions can be taken for the prevention of you know the misuse of it in this case i think at the outset there needs to be a baseline behavior or a baseline education or a knowledge dissemination that's to be done for both advocates and litigants to not look at technology as something alien i think the fundamental problem that arises is we look at technology as this alien concept which we have to learn and which we have to adapt to and which you know will take a substantive amount of time getting used to but technology from the olden ages has been an intricate part of our lives in some way or the other so i think at the at the most basic level we need to you know change that perception that technology is alien or something to be resisted or you know it dilutes the traditional form in which uh, cases are adjudicated or you know cases are deliberated before the judge so i think that fundamental change in mindset at the basic level needs to happen and the way it helps people or the way it helps the entire justice process move forward is by simply you know allowing people to have access to documents or have access to their files to their pleadings to their arguments in a ready made manner because what happens is when you go to a physical hearing before a court or before an arbitral tribunal many a times you'll see these advocates carry these big big files big big bags right which which run into multiple volumes which are very paper heavy matters which are very paper heavy and then you have to sift through these documents while within the hearing to show the judge the relevant portion of the document that you're relying upon or the relevant portion of your pleading that you're seeking to rely upon now what happens in online hearing the virtual hearing is that you can have all of this arranged and bookmarked in a pdf form or in any other form that you might seem accessible which makes it very easy for you to refer to that portion of the document or the brief 
while you're presenting your arguments, right? Because then you don't have to sift through multiple volumes of paper or have those, you know, briefs flagged for easy reference while you're arguing. You can immediately just go to the relevant bookmark of your PDF, click on that and screen share it to the judge so that he can have easy access to it as well. So I think at the end of the day, the most significant advantage technology has brought about in, in, in our practice more so, I wouldn't say so for foreign practices, but in our practice more so where we tend to rely a lot upon like papers and prints and hard copies of documents to make our case. By shifting that onto the virtual platform or by making it completely, you know, online, what's happened is it's allowed people to be at sync with what document they're referring to while they are. Because the focus while you're arguing should be on the merit and demerit of your argument. You shouldn't be thinking at the back of your mind that, oh, my next argument is going to be relating to this document. So should I, I should have that ready with me and I should, you know, have that ready reference with me while I'm going to be making that argument. When you're doing it online, everything is in front of you on the screen. Everything is bookmarked. It's all at the click of a button. You make your argument, you go to the relevant bookmark of the document and the document is projected to the judge. And also you can make your relevant markings, you can make your relevant highlights, you can underline, you can make your notes next to those documents. So it becomes a lot more easier for you to focus on the substantive aspects of your case. You're not spending too much time focusing on the handling of papers or the management of papers. I mean, of course, with solicitors assisting advocates, that ends up being the case more often than not. The advocate focuses on the argument while the solicitors help with the paper management. But here, it's not entirely dependent at the end of the day on the solicitor. Like the advocate would be handicapped if there's no solicitor to assist him with the managing of the papers. If he himself has the document with him while he's arguing, even if the solicitor is in some difficulty or if the attorney is some, in some difficulty, the advocate himself can, you know, refer to those relevant pages of the document, refer to the relevant pleadings and ensure that he's not handicapped in any way. So I think at the end of the day, the interplay between technology and the way it has affected judicial proceedings or quasi-judicial proceedings has helped paper management at the very basic become that much more easier, which has in turn helped people to focus more or give more of their focused attention on the arguments that they're making rather than, you know, having their papers and documents arranged in a chronological manner or in a serial manner so as to ensure, you know, they have easy access to it. So I think that's been the major change that at least I've personally seen in, in these two years post the pandemic on how technology has affected the judicial and quasi-judicial proceedings. So now considering that India has a rural population of 65% and again, not everyone has access to, you know, you know, internet and technology. We see the news every day and we view that, you know, they do not have access. Some certain schools don't have it. Certain, you know, villages have still not got, you know, technology and internet at the best of its speed. Now, in those scenarios, how do you think technology's use in arbitration helps these people? And would it be helpful in India if not all of them have access and understanding of the same, of the, you know, of technology? See, that's a very in subjective uh, question. I mean, many various people might have different answers to it, but the way I look at it is that technology at the end of the day will only aid and enable you to make your case better. It in no way will take away from the merit of your case or in no way will take away from the you know relative solidity of your case, so to speak. Technology at the end of the day will only enhance the validity of your case. And for that to happen, I think more than forcing people to adapt to these forms of technology, 
there should be a grassroots level training and making people understand of the benefits of technology because as if now if you go to any tier 2 or tier 3 city and ask them to attend a hearing virtually you'll obviously face a lot of you know objection from them you'll obviously face a lot of resistance from them to adapting to this new found way of having their cases disputed or adjudicated right so for that fear or for that stereotype or for that prejudice to go away what is to happen is that from the grassroots level go to the villages go to the towns tell these people show these people in fact rather than telling them the best way of making people believe that technology is a friend to them and not an adversarial concept that they should be you know inhibited against is by demonstrating to them the relative advantage using technology in judicial proceedings can bring about to them i mean tomorrow as i said at the beginning if tomorrow somebody has to travel 20 30 kilometers to the city to come and attend a hearing whereas if they have the option of doing that from the safe confines of their own home in their own villages in their own towns and nine times out of 10 people would prefer you know saving up on the cost spent in traveling on the hassles and the harassment faced in traveling all that while all that far away and then you know eventually ending up attending for a hearing which might eventually end up getting adjourned without being heard in the first place so in that case if you demonstrate to the people the relative advantage technology brings and the relative uh, cost cutting measures or the cost cutting in the ways technology can reduce on your costs of litigation so to speak because your litigation cost at the end of the day is a sum total of everything it's not just the money you spend in litigating but it's also in the resources you pool to help you litigate it's also the number of papers and documents you print the travel costs the meal expenses everything adds up to your entire litigation expense in india right it's just not hiring and hiring a counsel or hiring a senior counsel to argue your case that's not the only cost of litigation so if you can cut down on all these other extraneous costs that pile up at the end of the day and make litigation such a i would say non consumer friendly approach if you can use technology or you can demonstrate the advantage of technology to these people if you can tell them that you know you don't need to worry about making meals for your kids in advance if you have to attend a hearing you can just you know sit at your home and do your household chores while you're attending the hearing you don't have to spend so much on travel you don't have to book a taxi a day in advance to reach the courts to attend a hearing if you can show all of that to them if you can demonstrate all of that to them and then this needs to be demonstrated it can't just be a lecture or a sermon you know it just can't be a session of people talking about it it needs to be demonstrated to them effectively have like a projector set up in their towns have a projector set up in the villages show them the advantages of how you know uh litigation or or uh, the entire justice dispensation process can be a seamless experience online as it can be offline and more importantly i think even a step further than you know teaching or training or um, you know sensitizing these people to the use of technology there needs to be better internet bandwidth because at the end of the day your technology will only help you if it's given a system or it's given a structure where it can function smoothly and flawlessly so with the current levels of bandwidth forgetting the tier 2 and tier 3 cities even in major metropolitan towns our internet bandwidth in india currently is not that great you know even during court hearings or arbitration hearings you so many times faced you know loss of connection there's connectivity issues screens are getting stuck computer systems are not designed to you know uh, operate on such high level video conferencing platforms so until your internet bandwidth and internet connectivity is improved and then 
within that structure people are shown as to how technology can be an aid to them can be a friend to them this persistence and this objection is going to remain i mean we can bring about legislation we can talk to them we can sensitize them but unless this system is shown to them to be a successful system working successfully efficiently without any major flaws this uh, objection or this persistence i feel is going to remain in the longer term i mean look even post the pandemic not many of our senior advocates are tech savvy so to speak right they still prefer to you know argue from the hard copies of the briefs they still prefer to attend court in physical you know play of the judges emotion so there was a lot of resistance and there was an initial apprehension at the beginning of the pandemic from these advocates as well right who are not the tech savvy and who prefer the traditional way of litigating or the traditional way of having the disputes argued but slowly and gradually they fell into the system they understood the relative advantages technology offers and now every other advocate has an ipad every other advocate has a, a, a well set up computer system where they're not attending just one hearing they're attending three four hearings in a single day in three four different forums so they've all adapted to the way technology has influenced the judicial system because they've seen the relative advantages of them because they've been demonstrated as to how technology can be an aid to them can be a friend to them so if this is also done similarly at a macro level in in a in a villages in a towns in a tier 2 tier 3 cities i think gradually that acceptance will come but it cannot happen overnight this persistence and this objection is very valid and for this to be taken away or for this to be diluted there needs to be a concerted effort from the government from the law ministry to ensure that you know people in tier 2 tier 3 cities towns or even metropolitan cities so to speak are you know demonstrated as to how technology at the end of the day will only help make their lives easier it will not be an impediment to having their cases adjudicated and deliberated thank you sir so users in international arbitration have seemed to place yes. much more emphasis on having a secure and confidential virtual data room because when we have such meetings you know there is a lot of worry in regarding the confidentiality and the security and right. so there is also many people have felt that there is a need to develop an updated internet based case management portal since you know even google documents etc now what we are depending on as you've said may not be safe like it there there are right. chances that you know the you know very confidential information can also you know be lost somewhere and can be you know can go into the wrong hands and even although these services are very often free these services are you know they're subject to certain acceptance of certain general terms and of rights and use and analysis now since there is no clear so who shall be responsible for you know creation and management of such a case management portal and who is you know actually maintaining confidentiality in such you know platforms that we are you know using right so nama if you i mean see at the end of the day there are concomitant risks and advantages to any system right it's not just peculiar or specific to using technology or using virtual hearings even while you had physical hearings there were risks to you know your papers being being misplaced at the registry or you know your pages missing from your pleading there are concomitant risks and advantages to each and every system what this needs to be looked at is from the lens of whether you have the necessary checks and balances already existing in your system which can be further strengthened or maybe further modified to ensure that such leaks or such breaches are subsequently remedied remedied if in case it happens 
So I think I'll start first from the Indian perspective. If you look at the Indian perspective in the 2019 amendments to the Arbitration Act, they have introduced a new section. It's Section 42A. They have they proposed to introduce it. It's not been notified yet. Section 42A in the 2019 Amendment Act places specific burden on parties to ensure confidentiality. Correct. So it's a mandate that has been provided by statute by law. It's a legal obligation for parties who are partaking in arbitration proceedings to ensure that their pleadings, their documents, the information that's exchanged during such arbitration proceedings are completely confidential. Right. So tomorrow, even if assuming there's a data breach, there's a leak that's happened, there's confidential information that gets transmitted to people or entities that are not supposed to have access to those documents or information, there's sufficient protection within our legislative framework to ensure that you know such breaches are remedied. Now, as to how you can stop these breaches from happening altogether, unfortunately, there's in the entire world, I don't think there's a foolproof system by which you can stop data leaks from happening altogether. Even the most secure cybersecurity organizations have undergone secure security breaches and data leaks. So I don't think there's a foolproof system, but there's been a concerted effort by the international arbitration community to ensure that you know such data breaches and such breaches of confidentiality, confidential information, so to speak, are limited and reduced. Now, if you look at the ICCA rules, if you look at the LCIA rules, the CAC rules, every major international arbitration institution post the pandemic has developed their own code of conduct for organizing virtual hearings. Now, it's not happened in India specifically in the arbitration framework. You can see those specific guidelines for virtual hearings for court processes. Delhi High Court, Bombay High Court, every court has their own system of conducting virtual hearings, conducting hybrid hearings, right? And they have their own code of conduct. Unfortunately, that's not been extended to arbitration, so to speak, as of date. But if you take uh, recourse to how the international arbitration community has dealt with it, every major institu major arbitral institution has their own set of rules for conducting virtual hearings, wherein parties in the arbitration agreement themselves have laid down the broad scope and the broad contour of who the responsibility is going to be assigned to in case of a data breach. What are their common obligations and responsibilities in respect of securing the data that is being transmitted? You know, there was recently a paper by White and Case where they have thought about certain unique suggestions or certain unique solutions to ensure that, you know, responsibility is apportioned properly between the parties. So that at the end of the day, if a data breach happens, we are not we are not in a limbo trying to figure out who is to be blamed or who is to be held responsible. Because what that White and Case study, this I think it's a 2021 paper only, what that White and Case study held is that when you're transmitting documents over a common cloud server, you ensure that it's password protected so that only parties who are you know, part of the arbitral proceedings have access to those documents, right? Then when you're having examining a witness over a virtual platform, over a virtual hearing, you may you take an undertaking from the witness that you know he's the only one present in the room with nobody else around. If possible, the arbitral tribunal has the power to ensure that you know he can give you a 360 degree view of the room from where the witness is attending the hearing to ensure that there's nobody, you know, diluting his opinion or nobody, you know, providing him documents at the last moment. You know, and even when you circulate the link to the virtual hearing online through email or through WhatsApp or whatever. You ensure that the link is only circulated to the parties responsible. You have at the most one advocate and one party representative and the witness if it's a cross examination or a chief examination in chief. And you limit participation to only those parties that are absolutely relevant. You know, if you attend, for example, a final hearing, 
and you have say 30 35 people in the waiting room you can limit it to only the arguing counsel who is going to argue and one representative from each side of the claimants and the respondents as they may be to assist the advocate in making his argument so by that you're limiting the entire access of the room and the potential risk of multiple people having access to the documents and information being shared to the room to only the parties that are absolutely relevant and necessary for the conduct of that hearing so at the end of the day i mean a breach can happen even if you have all these safeguards in place i'm not saying that a breach can't happen but at the end of the day if you have such you know rules such stringent procedures in place if you have regulations built around such principles the possibility of a breach happening or a confidential information confidential document going into the hands of the wrong person is subsequently and substantively reduced because what we need to understand is that the effect or the efficacy of technology does not dilute the moment a breach happens uh, we have to operate on the assumption that in the way the world is interconnected breaches are going to happen but if you have a framework that reduces the possibility of that happening to its lowest minimum denominator so if you reduce it out of 100 times out of say if you take 100 as a subset if you can reduce it to saying that the breach will not happen more than say one time or two times right if you take it and reduce it to its lowest common denominator then i still feel that technology incorporation into the judicial mechanism still holds merit i mean just because a breach can happen you cannot discard the use of technology completely in judicial proceedings you need to develop systems checks and balances make legislation around it make policies around it so as to ensure that you know the risk of your information being going to third parties or information being available to unauthorized third parties so to speak is reduced at its bare minimum i think the moment we can achieve that if we can all make a concerted effort towards achieving that the international community has done it i hope india follows suit as well if we can do that in a concerted way then i think you know all these concerns about confidentiality and breach of information and data leaks happening will be allayed to a larger extent yes sir um so so one of our team members she has been a case manager in the maharashtra online lok adalat that was organized and managed by sama now one of the main issues that she believed was when taking consent of people to join arbitration or mediation proceedings was that people did not trust the online mode of working especially for a lok adalat and they considered it a fraud now how can that trust be built and how can people be made aware of this acceptance um i think apart from sensitizing people like i touched upon earlier what is also required is sensitization of our judges right because when we had uh, the pandemic breakout your high courts and nclts and debt recovery tribunals were the quickest to adapt to the virtual mode of hearing or the hybrid mode of hearing but if you went to the lower courts if you went to the district courts the magistrates courts the small causes court you could still see that judges over there were hesitant or reluctant to adapt to this new hybrid or virtual mode of hearing right so if the people you look up to to make decisions for you don't have trust in the system then automatically that trust will not percolate down to the people who are approaching the system seeking justice or seeking redressal of the disputes right so tomorrow if you go to a judge who himself is you know say he's not going, he's not going to be attending the hearings because there's a glitch in the system or he passes an order saying that you know unless i we adapt to a more secure system or a robust system which happened by the way people shifted from zoom to cisco 
last year because they thought that Cisco offered more, uh, Cisco WebEx, the platform offered more, uh, relatively more security than Zoom did, right? So I think until and unless you sensitize your judges as well, you know, the people who us litigants look up to to make decisions for us, that trust is not going to percolate down to the people at the grassroots level. I mean, tomorrow, if, say, for example, a judge can demonstrate to a litigant through an online mode or through a virtual hearing, and by a judge, I don't mean a judge at the high courts or the NCLTs or the Supreme Courts. I mean, let's just take that out for a second. Look at the grassroots level where, you know, people who have these apprehensions the most approach these courts. You know, you go to the district courts, you go to the city civil courts, small courts, courts. And just imagine if a judge tomorrow to a litigant says that, you know, because of the COVID pandemic and the social distancing norms, I'm going to be hearing your case only by way of a video conference. You cannot come to me in court physically and have your case adjudicated. And followed by that, he goes ahead and demonstrates to the litigant as to how the entire system is foolproof, right? Before he has his hearing done before the judge, he can have a brief training session or a brief demonstration to the litigant to both the parties, in fact, to show us to what are the checks and uh, balances that the entire court staff or the entire registry has taken to ensure that this entire system or this entire process will be flawless. I mean, when that information flows down from the top, there's much more, there's much more chance of that being accepted on much more, there's a greater possibility of that being, you know, internalized by the litigants who have these concerns. I mean, of course, sensitizing them, making policies for them, demonstrating to them is all on one side of the spectrum. But when it comes from the judges themselves who are adjudicating your case, when they themselves repose that faith in you, that regardless of the platform in which I'm going to be hearing your case, the merits of your case will be my primary concern. The merits of your case are going to be unaltered. Then there's a greater sense of faith and uh, trust in the system that emanates from the litigant himself. So I think most judicial academies will slowly over time uh, adapt this into their modules. You know, with the kind of world in the kind of world we live in, perhaps training judges and sensitizing judges to the uh, relative merits of using technology in courts, so that by the time these judges, you know, graduate from the academy and actually, you know, take office as judges, they can then spread that information downwards to the litigants who approach the courts, to the advocates who approach the courts, to the juniors who approach the courts, to their own registry, in fact, showing them as to how technology can be used to better the process and not derail the entire justice dispensation process at the end of the day. So I think more than sensitizing the people and teaching them and training them, there's an urgent need to train our judges and sensitize the judges to the relative advantages and benefits technology can have in the judicial proceedings. So when there are two parties and one of them is more technologically capable than the other party, let's say in an arbitration, a mediation, or even a litigation procedure, and that creates an imbalance and that creates that one party is definitely way more, you know, has better internet bandwidth, better understanding of that entire system. This creates an, uh, you know, an inherent inequality. Now, what were we and what can we do to remove this inequality? I think at the end of the day, um, parties should, in their agreements or in their written contracts or in the commercial contracts, so to speak, going ahead, be mindful of these facts before entering into the contracts. You know, 
because tomorrow with the way the world is going tomorrow you just might see standard clauses in contracts such as you know xyz system being used for the video conferencing or xyz platform being used for the storing of documents you know things of this nature where you have specific reference to a specific system or a specific data center for storing your documents or for conveying information or relaying documents so i think moving forward if a party is aware that you know he is relatively disadvantaged because of the lack of use of technology or the lack of access to technology or the lack of understanding of the technology so to speak they should bargain with the other party before entering into the commercial transaction to ensure that the mode of technology or the system that they are going to be governed under or the documents are going to be uploaded in or the hearings are going to be held in is something that is equal for both so tomorrow if you are not well averse with zoom but i am well averse with teams right to we, both of us can come to an agreement wherein we can have a neutral platform wherein both of us can communicate with each other or upload the documents even for that example some people have a problem with google drive and onedrive right some people find google uploading documents on google drive much more easier than uploading documents in onedrive and vice versa so i think at the end of the day parties while entering into a commercial bargain should be mindful of these facts and ensure that they don't concede to a platform or concede to a system of which they have no understanding of mm-hmm. i think that's the primary way by which you can offset this perceived imbalance in mm-hmm. the parties equation and understanding of technology but apart from that i think more importantly everybody i think in today's agent in today's agent time should be aware of the basic system at least nobody is telling you to learn java and coding and all of that no but at least the basic systems that you use for your normal regular business transactions online you know like a google drive or one drive using pdf using word uh using zoom microsoft teams using skype all of these are like basic systems which have become common currency now post the pandemic right business is no longer conducted over lunches and over long dinner tables it's yeah. conducted over zooms and microsoft teams and all these video conferencing platforms so i think even prior even before you know striking a bargain with the other party as to what technology and what kind of you know uh, virtual platform you're going to be using it's important to have an understanding of all these basic platforms so that you're not at a relative advantage when you're entering into a transaction with the other party and this doesn't take much time you know understanding zoom understanding teams understanding word pdf all of this at the at its very basic level can be understood in a day i'm not saying that you know you can become a master at word or a master at pdf in a day all of that are very intricate there are some advanced features that we professionals use day in and day out but nobody is asking commercial parties or business entities or corporate entities to understand all those you know advanced features all you need to know is the basics of operating the system of knowing what you can do in word of knowing what can be done in pdf of knowing what are the risks associated with the teams as opposed to a zoom as opposed to a cisco webex as opposed to a jitsi platform so having a basic awareness of all of of all of these systems i think should become a part of the due diligence of the parties before they enter into a transaction because normally due diligence today is looked at in a sense you understand the relative risks and uh, profitability with the target entity that you're seeking to acquire or you're seeking to invest in but i think with the way the pandemic has panned out and the way you know business is being con- conducted of late all of these should also become a part of your due diligence you know understanding the relative merits and demerits of each and every technological platform the basic technological platforms 
and how you can leverage that to your advantage in the business transaction or in the deal that you're entering into with the other party. So as to offset any relative disadvantage you might have by entering into a transaction with the other party on the basis of a technology you have no idea about, right? So yes. more than, you know, bargaining with the other party about having a resource or having a virtual platform, which is beneficial to you. It's essential you first understand the basic idea of how these systems operate. Uh, basically, just have a fair idea of how these systems operate so that nobody can take you for a ride while you're entering into a transaction with a party. I think that should be the way businesses should approach this new era moving forward. So the legal rules on arbitration were not drafted with technologies in mind, like case management websites, any form of video conferencing, virtual workspaces right. also in general. Now, how do you think the shift will look like? Do you think there will be some legislative change? And if there would, what do you think the legislations should include that would be helpful for, you know, the entire justice dispensation system? See, I think if you look at it from the Indian context, our Arbitration Act provides sufficient uh, safeguards and provisions for virtual hearing. I mean, it's a different thing that we haven't done it prior to the pandemic, but that doesn't mean that, you know, parties did not have a recourse to the Act if they wanted to do it. If you look at Section 19, Section 19 of the Act essentially says that parties are free to agree to the procedure in which they want their disputes to be arbitrated. So it leaves the discretion upon the parties to decide how they want the disputes arbitrated before the arbitrator, whether they want to attend the arbitrator's chambers, whether they want to attend a council's chambers and take the hearing there, or whether they want to do it on a video conferencing platform virtually. So I think all of those safeguards are already there in the act. It's now coming into focus because we feel there's a need to make that more specific and make that more robust. So I think moving forward, instead of having these general discretionary uh, privileges given to parties under the act or under the statute, we should try and focus for having a separate code of conduct for hearings altogether. Like most of these arbitral institutes abroad have done, they have a separate code of conduct for virtual hearings, which supplement the legislation on arbitration that exists in those countries. So for example, the LCIA code of conduct for virtual hearings is not in contravention of the English arbitration. It's a supplement to the English Arbitration Act, whereas all the protective reliefs and all the protective measures you have available under the English Arbitration Act will still be available to you. But for the virtual hearing, there are specific rules and specific policies and specific practices you need to follow to ensure that no none of the parties are at a disadvantage to the other. So I think a similar framework for India, wherein we can have a specific code of conduct for virtual hearings will be immensely beneficial especially given the fact that there's already enough support for having virtual hearings in arbitration in an arbitration act itself. So all we need to do is pick up on the principles that are there in the arbitration act and codify them or perhaps put them in a sort of a directive or a legislative policy or a code of conduct for virtual hearings, wherein there'll be specific directions and specific instructions and guidelines given to each and every party for the conduct during the virtual hearing as to who the document can be shared with, uh, what are the consequences if an unauthorized third party accesses your document? Uh, what will happen during a cross-examination of a witness? You know, how the witness is to be seated, where he is to be seated, how the camera is to be focused on his face, the position of his camera, the position of the system. All of that can be incorporated in a code of conduct because the principal problem personally, which I feel in this virtual hearing, specifically in arbitration and court hearing, is at the stage of examination. You can do your arguments, you can have your interim reliefs and final argument, all of that done over virtual platforms without any major difficulty. 
but the most major difficulty that arises is when you have to examine witnesses because the art of examining a witness or the art of eliciting answers from a witness is majorly body language driven you see how the witness responds to a question you see how squirmy he is getting how relaxed he is how comfortable he is and based on his demeanor you then keep grilling him further or you take a different route of questioning to elicit the answer that you want now all of that becomes very difficult in a virtual forum because a connectivity issues as i said the internet bandwidth in a country is absolutely uh, uh deplorable but um you know so to do that over a system where you have constant glitches constant errors where your video is getting paused becomes very very difficult it breaks the flow of questioning it you know prevents you from understanding the body language of the witness in his entirety because all you're seeing is his face in front of the camera right you can't see how what his hand positions are you can't see whether he's tapping his foot too much you can't see whether he's moving a lot in his feet all of that are visual cues which you know give you a lot of information about how the witness is feeling or whether he's under the pump or not so all of that over a virtual platform becomes really difficult to do so maybe when we have a code of conduct or if the legislature comes up with a code of conduct for virtual hearing maybe we can have a specific section uh, devoted to just examination of witnesses over virtual platforms because i don't personally i don't think there should be any other major difficulty over having any other process of the of the entirety of the case on virtual platform be it arguments be it filing submission be it uploading it on a common server all of that i don't think should be a major difficulty the only pressure point i feel is in examination of witnesses which i think if the legislature and a lawmakers put their mind to it and come out with a policy so as to ensure that you know the camera is positioned in such a way so that you can see the witness up until his torso at least you know not just his face so that you can see what his hands are doing you can see his body movements and all then i think we will be in a position where you know technology will not be looked at adversely upon because right now we are welcoming technology but we given the chance we would still prefer having everything physically than over virtual platforms i think for that mindset to change wherein if we are given a preference we would still not mind having everything done over a virtual platform for that mindset to come about there needs to be a specific a uh, virtual platform oriented code of conduct that needs to come up many other countries have done it singapore has done it hong kong has done it australia has done it canada has done it abu dhabi recently has done it so i don't see why we can't do that i mean if we don't have an idea we can borrow and take from the code of conduct that these other countries have done and you know implement them in a way that is suitable to how arbitrations are done in india i think the moment we do that this uh, this aversion to technology or this apprehension about technology will be allayed to a great extent so my next and final question in the series would be that finally seeing this acceptance and slow acceptance of information technology and quite ready acceptance especially international do you think this would in some way lead to the decadence and end of you know traditional you know arbitration methods you know where the councils had a chance to you know showcase their legal prowess and skills using technology you know within a room and within you know with a lot of people there and do you think it will completely shift online even post you know god forbid you know without any covid variants also and once covid is completely over will it completely shift online even then i don't feel so and my reason for that is because the law as a profession or the law as a practice is very interpersonal right because 
you can't practice law sitting in an empty room looking at a screen and making out your case it's very interpersonal it you know the way you argue the way you present a case depends a lot on how you feed of the body language of either the witness or the judge so i don't think there will ever be a situation where we'll either completely shift to totally virtual or will completely shift to totally physical i think moving forward the hybrid system like some courts are calling right now is going to be the way forward wherein parties are given the option of attending hearings virtually if they so desire with the consent of the other party otherwise there's no bar on them from attending the court physically of course subject to social distancing measures so i don't ever think that you know we're going to completely change to technological or virtual platforms because as i said even when the pandemic hit it took a lot of time for forget litigants for advocates also to get acclimatized to the entire setup of having things done virtually you know because the thrill of arguing in court or the thrill of being around eminent legal stalwarts while presenting your argument or answering a judge while he's giving you while he's asking you a question cannot be replaced by a mere screen to screen communication that has to happen physically in front of people in front of your judges where you know you can play off the emotions and the body language of people that are asking you questions or of witnesses that are being cagey or evasive so i don't think we are ever going to shift completely to virtual but that does not mean that you know we completely discard the virtual mode of functioning i mean the way things are going i i don't think we are going to be uh, free of covid for a long long time i mean covid as a phenomenon is still going to be in some part or some essence present in some manner or so so or the other and for as long as that's there you have to retake the course to virtual hearings there will be stages when you know going physically and attending court will become difficult it will become impossible you know you have to revert to virtual hearings and take, you know using technology as a aid so well completely virtual i don't see that happening but i do feel that moving forward with the way technology has helped advocates has helped litigants you know uh, feel over the pandemic has helped citizens get justice even when courts were not functioning during the pandemic i think that will hold us in good stead of shifting to a hybrid mode wherein people will be given the option of attending court either physically or virtually they can decide amongst themselves as to what is the course of procedure they want to adopt and then accordingly follow suit but uh, completely virtual i think with the way our profession is and the way i mean we practice not just in india all abroad completely virtual i don't think is ever going to happen because as i said it's 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 a very dynamic practice it's a very personal practice and you really can't um, the essence of the practice will be diluted if you just limited to two people talking in a screen so i think this Uh, justice the justice dispensation system going completely virtual is uh, a very utopic and a very optimistic way of looking at things that's never going to happen but i have full confidence that we are going to gradually shift to a hybrid mode wherein people are going to be given the option of attending hearings the way they feel the most comfortable attending uh lastly i would like to firstly thank you for joining us today and sir do you have any personal advice for all the young lawyers who who are becoming lawyers and you know who are studying in law schools right now during this covid world considering that we've done everything online and we have not seen the world beyond the online world so what do you have any advice for all all the listeners 
I think at the outset, uh, you guys are going to be coming for our jobs <laughs> because the way the world is structured right now, you need uh, people with a lot more grit, with a lot more determination, and with a lot more understanding of technology. Like I said, to be a well-functioning professional or a well-functioning individual, and you guys have all the experience of doing that. Be it a better understanding of technology, be it being more. result and being more determined on account of the pandemic you guys have not had it easy so when you graduate from college you'll be coming at us for a jobs you know trying to replace us to ensure that you get your due despite not uh, being uh, privy to all the relative advantages that we've been but all the on a serious note i think um, just hang in there i this is an advice that we i've been given personally innumerable times in law school There'll be times when you will feel lost, when you will be completely demotivated. You you won't know where your life is going. You don't know whether you land that internship, whether you'll be able to write that paper, whether you'll be able to do that most well. Just hang in there. I mean, this profession is all about blinking the last, right? the The longer you survive, the longer you sustain yourself, the better it is going to be for you. So know that you know have faith in your abilities. You survive five years of law school and two years of a pandemic. Of course, you're made of a much harder material than we guys are. So if you survived five years of law school and two years of pandemic, the world out there is not going to seem that much more difficult for you. So hang in there. Things are going to get better. Jobs are going to come. Markets are going to rise up again. And uh, there's enough in this profession for everybody. So don't worry about that. Everything is going to fall into place. Thank you so much for joining with us today. TLJD is really privileged to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, Nam. No.